series called Fellowship, and we're in week seven, but I haven't really even gotten to the fellowship part because we've been talking about the fact that we are spirit, soul, and body, and that the way that we communicate with God, the way that we fellowship with God is through our spirit, and uh, a lot of people, you know, don't understand that or not aware of that, and so we've been talking about it for some weeks. Now, if you missed any of that, and if you need uh, some refreshing on the fact that man is spirit, soul, and body, make sure you go on the website and get caught up. You can go to YouTube as well and get caught up on, um, on the past seven weeks. But uh, I encourage you to do it. We, I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm constantly renewing my mind. I'm constantly feeding my spirit. So while I'm doing mundane things, driving, you know, working in the yard, whatever, I put in some earbuds and I feed on the Word of God because I understand that my spirit is not that you're, you go, well, I heard that before. Well, yeah, you ate a sandwich before, but you eat, a, you eat another one the next day because you're feeding. And the sandwich you had yesterday won't carry you today or the next day. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. The Word of God is food. And your spirit has to be fed. And when it is fed, it grows and it is strengthened. And you grow in maturity. You grow in Christ's likeness. Okay, don't ever underestimate the power of feeding on the Word of God. Don't ever underestimate the power of what we're doing here this morning. As the Word of God is going forth, and we're going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. As the Word of God is going forth, it has the power to change things in your mind that you can't change and you can't get rid of. It has the power to open your eyes to see things that you can't see. It has the power to change things in here. So it needs to be respected and honored, and it needs to be received with, by faith this morning. Amen? Amen? So talking about fellowship, okay, and I want, I want to just prepare you this morning for what we're going to talk about. Uh, this morning is almost, I think of this, this morning almost just as relaxing in the presence of God, because I love to do that. I love to go in my prayer room and turn on some worship music and just be in the presence of God and meditate on what he's done for me. And that's what I want you to do this morning. I, I'm not going to give you much today that you really need to do. All right. This isn't a, this isn't a go and do sermon like you're wrong and you're broken and you're sinful in all these ways. Now go fix it. It's not that kind of sermon. Not that I don't preach those sermons. You, you'll get those too. But this morning is just more of, I want you to relax in what God has done for you. And I want you to believe the goodness of God about what he's done for you. You know, that's what the word gospel means is good news. And sometimes when we talk about the good news, uh, it's almost, we almost can preach it like it's bad news. Because the way we preach it is, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do, well, that's almost not good news. That just told me kind of what I already know, which is I'm a, I'm a wretch, you know, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I can't fix certain things. Well, you already knew that, didn't you? You didn't need me to tell you that. You already knew that. But the good news is that despite all of that, God loves you, and God has redeemed you, and he's got mercy and forgiveness for you this morning. Amen? Amen. Now, the reason we're talking about this in fellowship, in the series fellowship, is because what you believe about this issue that we're going to talk about this morning affects your fellowship. Okay, if I don't feel good around you, I don't want to be around you. That's just a, that's like a basic understanding of human nature. You may not have known that about yourself, but certain people you don't like, that's why you don't like them. You don't like them because you don't like the way you feel when you're around them. Meaning, either you feel judged, you feel condemned, you feel embarrassed, you feel insecure, whatever it is. If I don't like the way I feel when I'm around you, I don't want to be around you. That's kind of like basic human psychology. Well, that's the reason, many people don't understand it, but that's the reason why some people don't like to be around God, because they're so burdened down with shame, guilt, condemnation, that every time they're around God, they, that's what they think about. All of their sinfulness is brought back to their mind. All of their shortcomings, all of their past is brought back to their mind, and they're burdened down by shame, guilt, condemnation, and Satan gets very involved in this. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. And he will constantly accuse you before God to make you feel unworthy, 
to make you feel full of guilt, to make you feel full of shame. And that is no grounds for a good relationship and for good fellowship. And so this, is, this affects our fellowship with God greatly. It, if you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They went and hid. Why? Because of shame. Because of guilt. Whereas, knowing what we know about the cross and about forgiveness, our sin should cause us to run to God. You know, it should cause us to go to God and go, I understand the blood. I understand the cross. Okay, I understand the gospel. So, I'm running to God to say, God, I messed up. I'm not right in these areas, but thank God for the blood. But many times what we do is we run away. And, we, and this is what we think, unintentionally or, or not, or maybe not even aware we're doing it. This is what we think. Well, I'm going to get this straight. I'm going to get this area of my life fixed. A lot of people think this is about coming to church. They think, well, I can't go to church yet because I'm still out doing this, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. So they think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this, and I'm going to get this right. One day I'm going to repent of this. One day I'm going to get this right, and then I'll, I'll really give my life... To God, but, but here's what you don't understand is you can't fix that on your own. And you can't get that right on your own. And the whole good news is, yeah, come as you are. Let God love you. Let God heal you, which is a process, okay? It's not instant for many. It's a process of getting healed, getting right, while you are accepted and loved just as you are. And, and that's why it's called the good news. And some people, when they hear it, it's so good, they think, well, that just can't be true. That, you know, God loves sinners and he loves people just the way they are. Well, that's why it's called the good news, okay? If you got what you deserved, that wouldn't be good news. That'd be bad news because we don't deserve very good, do we? But it's the good news because we get what we didn't deserve, which is love, mercy, forgiveness, and acceptance. Amen? Now, we're going to meditate on this this morning, and I, I'm, again, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and so this service is just going to be about us meditating on what God did, meditating on what He's already accomplished for you. It's not anything that you have to do, but I'll tell you this, the more you believe it, the more you believe it, the more you accept it, the more you meditate on it, it's going to transform your relationship with Him. It's going to transform your fellowship with him. The more you understand what we're going to talk about this morning. Why? Well, the book of 1 John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. And what that means is the more you understand God's love, the more you can love God. See, those two things are connected. If you don't understand the love of God for you, you can't love God properly. You can't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as the Bible tells us to do. You ever read that and thought? Because I, I read, you know, that passage where Jesus said, well, the first and great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm thinking, I don't know very many things that I love with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, other than myself. That's how a lot of people are. They love their self that way, but they don't love much else that way. Love my heart, mind, soul, and strength to love God that way, that requires you to have encountered the love of God. Yeah. And that's why when you leave today, you'll see those banners on the back. We help people encounter the love of God. Why? Because I believe that when people experience that love and encounter that love, then they can love God back once they understand it. All right, so we're going to talk about that. The Bible also tells us that it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. In other words, the more you see the goodness of God, the more you understand what really happened on the cross, the more you understand how good God has been to you, the more that you can repent and you can be in right standing with God. So it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Should we preach hell and talk about hell and talk about sin? Yeah, absolutely. But for some people, that's their only way of trying to get people right with God is just pointing out how bad they are and how scary hell is, okay, which those things are real. But the Bible also says that it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. And so we're going to meditate on that this morning. Now, a very important point I want to bring up to you as we read these scriptures. Remember, 
Okay, very important. What we're going to talk about this morning, the, the revelation that you're going to get this morning is what causes salvation in a person's life. So the, the, the truths and the things that we're going to talk about today, just by believing them, have the power to transform who you are. And the Bible says, cause your spirit to be born again. You see, you can't earn salvation. You can't work for salvation. You can't do enough good deeds. All you have to do is believe what I'm going to talk about this morning. And even if you're already a Christian, it's believing this. It's strengthening your faith in this that continues to strengthen your relationship with God from one level to the next over and over and over again. So you, go, you, may, you may think, oh, yeah, I've already heard this. Listen, let me, let me, let me help you with that. Okay? There's not a person in this room. I don't care what you think your understanding of the gospel is. There's not a person in this room that understands completely the work that Jesus did on the cross. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. I, and I, and I'm, in, I'm including myself in that. And you go, well, man, you're up here teaching. Yeah, I, I know. But I'm telling you that for any of us, we don't understand more than just a fraction of a percent of what God has really done for us. So I don't care how many times you've heard this. you got a long way to go. We have a long way to go. Why? Okay, because here's what it would take to fully understand it. If you really want to understand what Jesus has done for you, here's what it would take to understand it. First of all, you'd need to experience hell. You'd need to go there. You'd need to live there. You'd need to experience the darkness. You'd need to experience the separation from God. You'd need, you'd need to meet Satan. And after a day, and after a week, and after a month, and after a year, and after a thousand years... How many of you believe you'd have about, right about then, you'd start to understand a little bit about hell? Well, you can't be truly thankful for what you were saved from hell unless you'd been there and experienced it. I mean, we have an idea. You know, we have an idea. We can think about it. We, understand, you know, we know what hell is. We can talk about it. Reading about it, okay, thinking about it, preaching about it, doesn't even scratch the surface of experiencing it. So to really understand what God has done for you, you'd have, to, you'd have to go experience hell. And not just for a minute or two. How many of you think the people that are there now have a whole new understanding of hell that they never had before? That they should have had an appreciation for while they were on the earth and then they could have made things right. But no, to, to fully understand what God has done on the cross, you'd have to go there. And then on the other end, to really understand how good God is and how faithful is, you'd have to go to heaven. You'd have to go there and you'd have to experience the joy. You'd have to experience the worship. You'd have to experience the life. You'd have to swim in the river of life, eat from the tree of life. You'd have to hear the music. You'd have to visit the throne room of God. You'd have to see God on his throne. You'd have to feel the embrace of Christ. Day after day, week after week, year after year, you'd have to see the angels. Only then would you really understand. But right now, our minds are some, oh, yeah, God saved us. Yeah, saved you from what and saved you to what? We've never been to hell. We've never been to heaven. To understand what he really did, you'd have to have that full picture. What about your inheritance in Christ? You'd have to have full understanding of the fact <laughs> that... God made Jesus Christ the heir of all things because of what he did by coming to the earth, dying on the cross, defeating death, hell, and the grave. He chose to do that. He chose to do that. And by doing that, God made him the heir of all things, meaning the heir of every single thing that was ever created, every planet, every universe, every star, every human being, every animal. And you think about the things on earth. Earth is one of countless Planets in the universe, all of it, the Bible says, was put under the control of Christ as his inheritance for what he did. But then it says that he made you and me who did nothing but believe that he made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now that revelation, I, I've been in church for a long time, and I'm going to tell you, most Christians don't have that revelation. They don't really 
they hear those words, they hear, oh, you're a joint heir with Christ. No, you, you, you'd have to really study it to understand why Jesus was given the inheritance. And then the fact that he turned around and said, you're a co-heir with me. And I'm sharing it with you. It, mind blown. I mean, how could you even possibly understand that until you're there and you're, exer- and you're experiencing it and you're seeing it? See, this is all part of the gospel. This is all part. So when people think, oh, yeah, I've heard the gospel, we haven't scratched the surface. We don't have a tenth of a percent of the understanding. But when we get there, the, the Bible actually tells us that even once we're there, Even once we've seen it and experienced it, even once we have full light and understanding, the Bible says that we are going to worship and marvel at it for all of eternity. That's how much we don't know about it yet. And for many of us, we go, oh, well, we've heard it, you know, and we're we're already bored. Oh, Oh, yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, I heard that since the time I was a kid. Jesus loves me. He died for me. He forgave me. The Bible says once you really understand it, that your, your mind is going to be so blown that you're going to marvel at it for all of eternity. So let's just, in humility, let's just admit this morning, no, we don't have full understanding of this. And if the world only knew how good this was, if the world only knew how good the good news really was, this place would be packed this morning. We wouldn't have enough seats for people to be here and give praise and worship and glory to God. If just the people in this room fully understood it, I wouldn't have been able to shut y'all down from praise and worship this morning. I'd have been up here on the mic and y'all have just been over, just over the top of me, just praising, because you're going to marvel at it for eternity. But I understand our minds are limited, and so we hear it and we go, oh yeah, Jesus loves us, pray God, we're saved, sins forgiven, man, it's good. Listen, it's, it's just a fraction that, you, uh, that all of us understand. To fully understand it, too, we would, have to, we would have to understand the trespass. We would have to understand the sin that took place in the garden. We would have to understand the depth and the level of the treason that took place in the garden. To understand the rebellion that's in the heart of man. To understand the wickedness that's in the heart of man towards God that he's chosen to forgive. So let's meditate on it this morning. I'm going to talk to you just about a few small things. Obviously, we can't cover it all this morning. But I want to read to you a lot of scripture. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Let's let this word change us today. Ephesians 1, 3. Paul had probably the biggest revelation on this topic of anyone that's ever lived as far as humans go. He's trying to explain it in the book of Ephesians. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's stop right there. This is a passage we just read over. It says, You've been blessed with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, that's a, that's a broad statement for a lot of stuff that how many of you are fully aware? You could, you could say, yeah, I know every single spiritual blessing that's available in heaven. None of us do. None of us know. None of us fully get that. But Paul said, you've been blessed through Christ and what Christ did Every single thing that heaven has to offer, every single thing that that God has, everything that he's created, every single thing in heaven, you've been blessed with that in your life. And you go, well, I don't don't feel like that. Well, you've got to understand part of the the gospel is not what we're going to get in the here and now. The biggest part of the good news is not anything that we're going to receive on this earth even though there's a lot to receive in the here and now. The biggest part of what we're going to receive is on the other side. Is on the other side. So he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, everybody say chose. See, God made a choice. He made a decision long before any of us were born. 
Long before the first human ever walked the face of the earth, God made a decision. This was his decision. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. (laughs) Okay, so this is what we have in Christ. First of all, notice before the foundation of the world. You know, when you read in Genesis, the very first line of the Bible, it says, in the beginning. But did you know that there was a lot going on before in the beginning? Before that phrase, in the beginning. When he says in the beginning, he's talking about the creation of things, the creation of the earth, the creation of the, the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, the animals, all of those things. He says in the beginning, and he, and he talks about it. But there was a lot going on before in the beginning. How do we know? Well, because the Bible tells us about war that broke out in heaven between Satan and his demons. We, there was a lot going on that we weren't aware of before mankind ever, ever came. Another thing that was going on before the foundation of the world, before anything was even created, was the plan that we're walking out right now. See, God knew... Before Adam and Eve sinned, and I, I hear people joke about Adam and Eve, you know, well, if Eve had just, you know, walked away from the snake, we wouldn't be in this situation. No, I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think any of us probably would have made the same, the, same, the same error. But before that happened, God knew it was going to happen. See, before, before he created the earth and before he created mankind, he knew that mankind would rebel against him. He knew that Jesus would have to come and die. He knew that Jesus would be buried, cru- crucified, buried, raised to life again. Any difficulty, any pain that you've ever experienced in your life, the most horrific thing that's ever happened on the planet, he knew that it would happen before it happened. Every war, every earthquake, every hurricane, every tornado, every murder, Every horrible thing that would ever happen on this planet, he knew that it would happen, and he decided to create us and make us anyway. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, he chose you. Now, when you think about that phrase, God choosing you, I don't want you to think about humanity. Okay, I don't want you to think about yeah, God chose people. It's not difficult for God at all to think about you as an individual. He's not limited like we are. So when the Bible says that he chose you, you could put your name there. You could even say, he chose me in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined. That word predestined means predetermined. It means basically just what you would think it means. It means in advance... Before you were ever born, he knew your name. I'm going to show you that in just a second. He knew your name. He knew your life. He knew every detail of your life. He knew every single thing that would ever happen in your life. He knew, he knew every decision you would ever make in your life. He knew every sin you would commit. He knew all the things you would mess up and destroy and break and hurt. He knew every bit of it, but he predetermined Despite all of that, he predetermined that you would be his adopted child. That he would adopt you into his family. That he would forgive you. He would wash you. He would make you clean. And that he would, he would give you a status in his life that you completely do not deserve. Now, you understand that God could have saved us from sin without adopting us into his family, right? It, in other words... Forgiveness of sin, but status as a son of God are two totally different things. I mean, I can forgive a servant. I can forgive someone. I can forgive a dog. I can forgive somebody that has no status in my life. And that'd be enough. I mean, if, if all salvation was, was us getting out of hell and just getting to live in heaven like as gardeners or, you know, land, working on the landscaping or mowing the grass or something like that. How many of you know that would be, we would all be crying at his feet because of the mercy once you fully understood what hell is and what heaven is. 
if, if, if that's all it was, how many of you'd be thrilled just to be mowing the grass in heaven than, than living eternity in hell? I'd be thrilled. But that's not what he did. This is, this is where you got to really meditate on it to understand it. That's not what he did. He didn't just forgive us and say, you know, come be like some second-rate, you know, uh, foster child or something, somebody that somebody does it. That's not what he did. He said, I'm going to adopt you as my own children. And the same way that I treat Jesus is how I'm going to treat you. You're not less than Jesus. Now, now this is where you get on dangerous ground because you're not Jesus. You're not a God. You're not the Son of God. But you understand that God has bestowed upon you a status by His choosing. He adopted you into His family as a child that is no less His child than Jesus Christ. You are a son of God just like Jesus is a son of God. You are a daughter of God just like Jesus is a child of God. You have that same status on your life. And when you get to heaven, everything that is Jesus's is going to be yours. You're an heir of all things, just like Jesus is an heir of all things. Again, I'm going to show you all these things from Scripture. And the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, before He ever created earth, before He ever created man, He knew that He was going to have to do this. Now think about how important you must be to God. Think about if I'm God and I've got Jesus... I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got angels and created beings. I've got streets of gold, castles, universes. I, I could do anything that I want to do. Do I really need the trouble and the difficulty of the human race? Do I really need that? And how many of you know it just would have been a lot easier to not create us in the first place? It just would have been a lot easier to go, man, life is good. I'm God. Things are great. I don't need you. That would have been a lot easier. But it's mind-blowing to think of all the trouble and difficulty that we were going to cause God, and yet he said, before he even created, not like he caught him by surprise. Okay? It's not like he said, let me create these humans, and then the whole thing blew up in his face. He knew every bit of it in advance. And he said, you know what? They're worth it. They're worth it. And how, how many of you are thankful that God thought you were worth it? Amen. Amen. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That'd been the, that would have been the time to abort it right there. But he said, no, I'm going to do it. That you'd be blameless before him in love. Okay, this is it's telling us why he did it. In love, he loved you before he even knew you. He loved you before he even knew you. In love, he predetermined that you would be his adopted son, his adopted kids through Jesus Christ. This was according to his purpose and will. Skip down to verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. This is that inheritance I was telling you about. You know, if any of you have, maybe you have wealthy family members that, that have things that maybe they want to give you, maybe your parents are going to leave an inheritance for you one day, you know, or, or if any of you have already received some inheritance or something like that, you know, you think about how excited you get when you get that news of, oh man, they're going to give you this. Listen, you have an inheritance from God. You have an inheritance from God, the creator of everything. Any inheritance on this earth pales in comparison to the real inheritance that you have waiting on you from God. So if you're one of those people in earth, on this earth and you're like, man, nobody in my family has any money. I ain't ever getting an inheritance, you know. I just wish we came from one of those rich families, you know. Listen, you have the same inheritance as the richest person on this earth and more because your inheritance comes from God. And there's not a believer on the planet that's not going to participate in that inheritance. 
and is greater than anything that your mind could experience. You know, I remember a few years back, the, one of those lottery signs, you know, I think it got over a billion dollars on Powerball, and everybody was playing Powerball. People that had never played Powerball in their life were uh, doing Powerball. They're always afraid to tell their pastor that, you know, I guess they think. And I'm like, look, you think I care if somebody in my church wins a billion dollars? Not if they're a tither. I don't care one bit. Just... <laughs> but that, you would, you, would, you would throw all of that away in one second if you could understand this inheritance. The, the, the most money, the most land, the most anything, you, you would consider it complete garbage if you could really understand the inheritance that's waiting on you. But we don't understand that. So we think about how foolish it is then, the way that we live. And this is why Jesus talked about this over and over. He's like, you, you, you're storing up what in barns? Why, why are you doing that? You don't understand the inheritance that's really waiting on you. And it's not that we shouldn't be wise and invest and take care of our families. Yeah, yeah, all of that. But do it with a grain of salt. In other words, understand, yeah, we're doing this, but this is temporary. This is passing away. And my real inheritance is not anything on this earth. There's something waiting for me there that I'm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so amazing that it's going to cause me to consider the greatest of gifts here total and complete garbage. So in him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, there's that word again, showing you that God was doing all this in advance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look at Revelations 13.8. This is talking about the Antichrist. And it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So the Bible looks at Jesus, and this is not the only scripture that communicates this, but the Bible looks at Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now, we think of Jesus as crucified, you know, in the early first century. You know, he came in a specific time period. The Romans crucified him. The, Jew, the Romans and the Jews crucified him. And, and we think of that in a very concrete time frame. But God has looked at him as the lamb who was slain since before the foundation of the world. See, in the mind of God, he was already sacrificed before the earth was even created, before the first human being was created. What is, that, what is this scripture telling us? It's telling us that the fact that God had to redeem mankind did not catch God by surprise. This wasn't an afterthought plan. Everything didn't go south. Sin ruined everything. Man rebel, and then God... And Jesus and the Holy Spirit get together and come up with an idea. Okay, how are we going to make this right? How are we going to fix this? How, how, what are we going to do so that we don't lose all of these that we had created to be sons and daughters? No, that's not what happened. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, he was the lamb that was slain. Meaning God already knew that he was going to have to be sacrificed for you. And he did it anyway. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. Now, Paul's there. See, he says, in the, the price to redeem you, okay, the cost to redeem you, Silver and gold couldn't touch it. it. It was worthless. Silver and gold, rubies, jewels, diamonds, treasure had no ability to redeem you. There, there was no price that could be paid of, of the way we understand money. There was no price that could be paid to redeem you. You were completely lost. The, the price and the cost to redeem you was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That was the payment. He says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but 
with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In other words, you're just seeing it now. He's manifest in, in this time period. But he said, oh no, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world to be your sacrifice, to be the payment so that you could be made right with God, so that all of your sins could be forgiven, so that you could become a child of God. He decided it all in advance. Ephesians 1, 4. We already read this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. This is talking about the end of time. Man is, all, is standing before the judgment seat of God. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit, everybody say inherit. inherit. See, this is part of your inheritance. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, at the end of time, when man stands before God, and there's some that have chosen to completely reject God, turn away from God, others have lived for him and accepted him. He's going to look to those that have chosen him, those that have believed in him, and he says, it's time. It's time to receive the inheritance that I have picked for you, that I've chosen for you. He says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, this was the plan all along, that you would be here with me, See, when you understand this, walking through trials and difficulty on this earth all of a sudden become not so difficult. When, when you understand that there's a plan in motion, when you understand there's an inheritance waiting on you, when you understand what's on the other side, it causes us to live differently because we realize that the things of this earth are not that important. And we realize the small things that we go through in this earth, the difficulty, the pain, the, the sickness, the issues that we go through, we realize they're, they're nothing compared to what's waiting on us. And when you get there, how long are you going to be there before you can't even remember the difficulty of the things you go? You know, I have people ask me that, that have known me for a long time. Oh, man, you remember 20 years ago when this, this, and this happened? I'm like, no, not really. How long before we're there, before you can't even remember the pain and the difficulty that you walk through on this planet? Because the goodness of God and the inheritance of God is so great and so amazing, you can't even recall the difficult things that happened on this place, in this place. Now look at this, Revelation 20, verse 11. John is having a vision he says, then I saw a great white throne. This is also t talking about the final judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was standing before him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So... Upon further study, you'll find out that the books that were opened that he's talking about are, are the books that contain every deed of every person that's ever lived. Every detail of every person's life. The Bible says to, he, that Jesus actually said every idle word you'll give an account for. Why? Because it's been written down. Every thought that you've ever had. There's not a, there's not a fleeting second of your life that's not been written down. Why? Because without Christ, you're going to be judged according to that. Thank God there's another book that he talked about right here. <laughs> See, there's two sets. He said there's books that were opened. Without Christ, that's the book that you're judged by. And you can't argue it. 
You can't explain it away because every second of every moment of your life is there. Everything you ever said, everything you ever did, every mistake you ever made, it's all there. And so no one can deny it. But thank God there's another book. And he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. But verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So for a believer, your, your salvation, where you go, heaven or hell, is not judged based on what's found in that first set of books. Praise God for that. Actually, for a believer, that the, the first set of books stands as a testimony to the mercy and goodness and grace of God. That's how that will work for believers. So when the books are opened for you, for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, those are those who have received salvation, for you, the things that are written in those first set of books, every detail of your life, I don't know if that will be read for us as well. I don't know if we'll have to endure the, the reading of the first set of books. But then the second book, that's the question. After all is said and done, after everything's been read, okay, but is his name in the Lamb's book of life? If so, then that, per that means that that person's debt and punishment has been paid for by Christ, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so what's in that first set only serves as a testimony to the goodness, grace, and mercy of God. Yeah, we'll know about it, but we'll go, praise God, I'm not accountable for that. I'm not judged based on that. I'm judged based on something else. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ paid for exactly the things that are in that book. Now, how many of you hope that when that book is read for you, that you know God like clears out the room and there's nobody else in there? You know, maybe mom, dad, you know, a few people have to kind of exit before that gets read. But here's the reality. That's probably not going to happen, first of all. But the reality is for all of us, okay, those of us that are looked at as the most holy and the most, the most pure and the most righteous, everyone is going to be condemned by what's in those books. There, there's not one that when those books are opened that their life is going to be unstained. Every single one will need a Savior in order to justify their life, in order to receive salvation. So, he says, the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Look at verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, here's the question. When... Did your name get written in that book? A lot of people would think that their name was written in that book the moment they received Christ. In other words, you're, you're living sinful, your name's not in the book. The moment you get saved, you receive Christ, your name gets written in the book. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us in... Revelations 13, 8. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Bible tells us that every person whose name is in that book was written before the foundation of the world. First of all, this tells us a lot of things. First of all, it tells us that you being saved is not an accident. You being saved and in right relationship with God is not an arbitrary thing. Oh, some are saved, some are not. Nope. No, he didn't miss one. He knew every single person in advance. He knew every single person that would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their sacrifice for sin. This is not an arbitrary thing. What does it mean also? It means he knows your name because he wrote it down. 
in a book. He knows you by name. And he knew you by name before the foundation of the world. He knew you by name. He knew whether you would be one that would follow him or reject him. He knew it. And he wrote it down in the book before the earth was ever even created. Now, this raises a lot of questions. For, for people, this raises a lot of questions because our mind has limitations. You know, it's like if you go outside today when you get home and you try to explain physics to your dog, no matter how smart your dog is, He's never understanding physics. Smartest dog in the world. Never understanding physics. Why? Because a dog has uh, mental limitations. One of the ment- And humans have mental limitations. And one of the mental limitations for humans is eternity. The human mind just cannot grasp eternity. We cannot grasp eternity past. We cannot g- grasp eternity future. Our minds are bound by time. We cannot... Even envision a world without time. If you try to envision a world without time, you're, you just it starts to it just starts to fizzle. It just starts to you know spark. You can't do it. But God lives outside of time. How does He know the end from the beginning? How can Jesus be the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? How can people's name be written in a book yet they still have free choice on this earth? So because it confuses people. We come up with a lot of really crazy doctrines and ideas. And one of those crazy ideas and doctrines that some people come up with is that God has predetermined that certain people would go to hell and that God predetermined that certain people would go to heaven. It's absolutely not true. And it's 100% false. That's not how the Bible presents salvation at all. What you are seeing in Scripture is not the fact that God predetermined that some would go to heaven and some would go to hell. It's just that he knew who would choose in advance. He knew who would choose in advance. And so because he knows the end from the beginning and he knew who would choose and not, no, you still have free will. It's just that he knows the end of the story. So, but here's the, here's the fact. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, your name is in that book. And it's been in that book since the beginning of time. God knew what you would choose. Now, <clears throat> with God, there are no big people, little people. There are no important people, unimportant people. Every human being that's ever walked the face of the earth, he knew your name. He knew what you would choose. He knew if you would live for him or not. And your name is in that book accordingly to whatever choice you've made. And listen, that's the only thing that's going to matter on that day. There's some people's books of their works that they're going to be stacked this high and then some people they're going to fill up this platform of all the hateful wrong evil things that they did whether your stack is big or your stack is small if your name is in the lamb's book of life that stack doesn't matter and the goodness of that the mercy of that the the compassion of that should cause us to celebrate and give thanks to God on a daily basis to go thank God that my name is in that book thank God that my name has been written before the foundation of the world in the lamb's book of life now how should i live accordingly how should i live accordingly i told you i wasn't going to talk about anything you got to do so i'm going to stop right there but some people might would take that and go, well, if my name's in the book, then I can just go live. If the name, if it doesn't matter what's in that first set of books, I can go live and do whatever I want to do. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a heart that's very grateful to God, and it doesn't sound like a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. Now you got me concerned, is your name in that second book or not? <laughs> Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. In other words, just further testimony of the fact that your name has been written before the foundation of the world. Man, isn't God good? 
Okay, here's the last thing I want to tell you. I'm going to read this last passage to you, Romans chapter 4. The amazing part about this is the price that you have to pay to get it. I mean, what I've been talking about, if I told you you had to climb Mount Everest in order to get it, if I, if I told you you had to run a marathon, if I told you you had to live 10 years in some, you know, prison camp, if I, whatever I laid out for you, if your choice was eternity in heaven or eternity in hell, how many of you would you'd give your last breath trying in order to obtain this? There'd be no price that you wouldn't pay if you, if you had any common sense about you. There'd be no price you wouldn't pay to get what we've been talking about this morning. And that's one of the most astounding things about all of this is the price that we're asked to pay in order to get this. And it's one thing, it's belief. It's just believing that it's true. That's it. That's what God asks. He doesn't ask you to earn it in any way. He doesn't ask you to, to really pay any, any price at all. He says, do you have the faith to believe that this is true? And if you have the faith to believe that it's true, then it's yours. Could he have made it any easier? <laughs> could, he have, could he have made it any easier? And yet, again, if the price were some steep thing, some impossible thing, you'd have thousands and thousands of people all over the planet every day trying to obtain it, trying to get it, spending their whole life to get it because they understood what hell was. And he understood what heaven was. But even though he's made it free and simple, you still have thousands, millions of people that not interested. Not interested, don't want it, don't care, don't believe it. Isn't that amazing? But the price is very, very simple. You just have to believe what we were talking about this morning. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. I'm, I'm probably going to preach another sermon uh, on this whole passage in this series because it, it just is so amazing the revelation that's in this chapter but he's talking about Abraham and he says basically what he's explaining is Abraham was under the old covenant or, or he was in the old testament and so how were people made right with God in the old testament it, we would say you know it was through the law through following the law and adhering to the law and those who were considered righteous and those who were considered blameless were people that really stuck to the law and they followed the, the Levitical law. But God shows that really from the beginning that was never the case. And in Romans 4 it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, what did he do in his physical body that obtained favor with God. Because Abraham had a special relationship with God. There's a few people in Scripture like this. Moses, Noah, Abraham. There's a few people that had this very special relationship with God. That God would like talk to. And God talked to Moses face to face. The Bible says as a man talks to his friend. And when you read that you ask yourself. You know why? Why did Abraham have this special relationship with God? Why did Moses have this special relationship with God? Was it because they were super holy? Was it because they were super righteous? Is that what drew God to them? And, and one morning I was praying, and uh, I, would, I would pray prayers like that. I would say, God, I want to have that relationship with you like Abraham had. I want to have that relationship with you like Moses had, where you, you talk to Moses face to face. And I remember one morning after this, I've been praying that for who knows how long, probably years. And one morning, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and he said, Son, every, every person who is in Christ has been granted instant Abraham status. Every person. There's not one of my children in Christ that don't have the same status that Abraham had. When you read about Abraham and you read about Moses, you're not reading about someone that had a special relationship with God. You're reading about how I intended every believer to, to fellowship with me. 
And in Christ, in the New Testament, any person who comes in, any person who believes, is, gets instant Abraham, instant Moses status. Why? Because I'm judging it based on who Christ is. Now, was Christ, did Christ have a better position with God than Abraham? Oh, yeah. Did Christ have a better position with God than Moses? Oh, yeah. And you get that position with God when you believe. And this is what he's explaining in Romans 4. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, what did Abraham do in his body uh, that, that gave him this status with God? He said, for if Abraham was justified by works, by what he did, then he has something to boast about. But not before God, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you understood the word righteousness, it means perfect, right standing before God. Couldn't be any more perfect. Could, it's the pinnacle. It's the top. There's not a single thing you could do to be more right with God. And he says, Abraham obtained that level of right standing, that status, that position with God. He obtained it. How? By believing. By believing God. Now, I love this. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, for your belief, God gave you a status. Not a status you earned. The same thing you did with Abraham. You didn't earn it by what you did. It was gifted to you simply because you believed. Now, I love this because he explains it so clear. Verse 4. He says, now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift. I love that. I love that because it explains the gospel so well. If you, ever, if you ever had questions about what the gospel really is, this explains it right here. See, he says, if somebody works and you pay them, it's not a gift. In other words, if, if any of you own a business and one of your employees, they've been working all week, and you go and you give them your paycheck and you say, hey, I got a gift for you. I got a gift for you. And you give them a box and they open up and it's their paycheck. <laughs> I got a gift for you. They look at it and go, that ain't, no, that ain't a gift. I worked for that all week. What are you talking about? You owe me that. That's not a gift. That's his point right here. In other words, if Abraham obtained righteousness by working for it, he says it's not a gift. God owes him that. If Abraham worked through living holy, living right, living blameless, and then he got favor with God, that's not a gift. That's his wages. That's what's due. And he said, but that's not how he got it. See, salvation is never explained in Scripture as wages. It's always explained as a gift. Every, every time you read about salvation in the New Testament, it's presented as a gift, meaning you don't work for it. Can you just receive a gift? For some, of us, for some of us, it's hard to receive a gift. And I mean, I feel like people, it's like God gave us the gift of salvation. And I find myself in this position sometimes as well. of where, But you still think you got to work for it. You still think you got to work for it. It's just a mentality we have. Even though it's just a gift with no strings attached, we still feel like we have to earn righteousness, even though it was gifted to you through salvation and what you believe. But he says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Meaning, if you want perfect right standing with God, all you have to do is believe everything we've been talking about this morning. If you want to be counted, if you want instant Abraham status, if you want to be counted perfectly right with God, not lacking in anything, all you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and accept this free gift from God. He says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He said, even in the Old Testament, David was talking about this. Even in the Old Testament, David had a revelation about this. He said, blessed is the one who God considers righteous apart from his works. Apart from his works. Apart from what you've done or haven't done. This is what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Who is that man or woman? It's the one who believes what we're talking about this morning. It's the one who believes the gospel message. He says, to that man... His lawless deeds are forgiven, his sins are covered, and the Lord will not count his sin against him. Listen, you've been offered the greatest gift that anyone could ever possibly imagine. It is perfect right standing with God, forgiveness of all of your debts and all of your sins because of what Christ did, and an eternal inheritance. That's waiting for you in heaven. This is the God that we serve. Now, how does that affect your fellowship with him? See, we're talking about fellowship. If you're a believer, if you're not saved, you need to, you need to receive salvation this morning based on what we've been talking about. But if you're already a believer, how does this affect your fellowship with God? Well, it makes you run to his presence instead of hiding. It makes you run to God's presence because you go, I'm accepted. And it's not based on how stupid I acted last week. It's not based on how stupid I talked <clears throat> last week or the things that I did. Or It's not based on that. I, I receive righteousness from God as a gift. And my status with God <clears throat> doesn't go up and down. My feelings go up and down. My emotions go up and down. My status with God does not go up and down. I'm accepted. I'm righteous because of what Christ did, no matter how holy I was last week or how unholy I was last week. That's not an excuse to sin. It's an it's a encouragement to not live under condemnation and guilt when you do mess up. And when you're not the, the person that you want to be, the Bible says, no, your status with God doesn't change because it was never based on that. If your status with God goes up and down based on your performance, then that means you obtained it through performance. And you didn't obtain it through performance. So when you perform good, <clears throat> then you're saved. When you perform bad, you're not saved. When you perform good, you're, you're in with God. When you perform bad, you're out. How many of you know that's not good news? And it's not a gift. That's wages. But he says salvation's not wages. It doesn't work like that. Salvation is a gift, and so that, that status with God has been gifted to you, and you're walking in it all the time, no matter how you feel. You say, well, I feel guilty, I feel condemned. Yeah, and because you feel that way, it's showing that you're having trouble believing this. But all you have, to, if you're going to strive, and you're going to work, I want you to strive and work to believe this. So when you find yourself in that place, I want you to work to believe. I want you to strive to believe. I want you to go, nope, you know what? Here's what the Bible says about me. The Bible says that I'm righteous before God, no matter how I feel. Because I'm not righteous based on what I did. I'm righteous based on the sacrifice that Christ made for me. And his sacrifice was big enough and great enough to pay for all of my sins. And so I have a status before God. And that will transform your fellowship with him. When you believe that, you can wake up every day. No guilt, no condemnation. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. I can go into the presence of God. I don't have to beg for forgiveness. I don't have to, I don't have to go in like a dirty dog and just God unlist all the horrible ways that I've messed up. I can go into the presence of God and I can, so, you know, I can say, thank God, despite of what's been happening, I know I'm righteous with God. I know I'm accepted this morning by God. 
I know that Christ's sacrifice paid for my position with God this morning. I know that I have an eternal inheritance waiting on me. I know that my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life since the foundation of the world. I know that I'm an adopted son of God, daughter of God this morning. How many of you believe that will change the way that you fellowship with God? 